Last one in the series, uh, Listening Prayer Part 6, Part Last. Uh, next week, Pastor Ray is going to be speaking, and we'll be moving into some April things that we're doing, uh, Easter and Palm, and of course, building for the harvest. We're going to be doing starting our building campaign, and some of those things you're going to start seeing uh, next week. But first, we've got to finish this off. And so, if you're new here, just a brief review here of what we've been doing in this series. The whole point of this series has been to put uh, biblical guidelines, boundaries around this thing of hearing God's voice. And the reason we want to do that is we want to put biblical boundaries in place to keep us safe, okay? Not safe from God, okay? Following God is not safe. God will ask you to do dangerous things, all right? But to keep us safe from ourselves, all right? And so uh, uh, two things, uh, two guidelines we've looked at so far, and we're going to look at a third one today in the second half of the message, but two guidelines we've looked at so far. One is look for confirmation, Okay? Well, before you act, when you think God is speaking to you, telling you to take some big leap of faith, before you act, first look for confirmation to, to make sure that you're actually hearing God correctly, all right? So that, that guideline is about keeping us safe from ourselves, okay? The second guideline is about making us safe for others. And the second guideline, the one we looked at last week, which is don't give directive words from God to other people about important decisions, Okay? So guideline number one is about keeping me safe from myself. Guideline number two is when someone else c comes to me for prayer, I need to have some guidelines in place so that I, I said they're safe from me, okay? And, uh, and so a couple things. I want to just do review here. I want to hit some things, important things that I talked about last week, things we will never do here at Southland, okay? We're going to have wisdom in this thing of hearing God's voice because hearing God's voice is amazing. You're going to hear that. The last part of this message, I want to show you how wonderful hearing God's voice is, Okay? Hearing God's voice is amazing, but we all know of people who've just gone off the rails, right, because of something they thought they heard God tell them to do, and it wasn't God. They're not bad people, but they ended up doing foolish things. And we've known of churches where people have done control, they've, they've used the prophetic, they've used God told me to control people and manipulate people, okay? So a couple things we talked about last week uh, on this guideline number two. An example would be someone comes to you and they say, I don't know which job I should take, job A or job B, and we will not at Southland do anything like the following. You do listening prayer with them and you go, I sense God telling me you should take job B, okay? We do not use listening prayer to give directive words like that, okay? You can pray for the person to have wisdom. You can do listening prayer to get words, thoughts, and pictures to encourage them that God can speak to them through, but we won't tell them, God told me that you should take job A, or I sense in prayer that you should take job B, or whatever like that. We won't do it. Uh, another example we touched last week that I want to just, again, I want to say it again. Some of you weren't here. I want to make very sure of this one. Uh, we do not give directive words about medical issues, medication and that sort of thing. We don't do that here at Southland, okay? So someone comes to you and they say, I feel like God is telling me that I can stop taking my medication. We will not give directive words at a prayer to help them make that decision. That decision is between them and God and their doctor. They are the ones who will have to live with the results of what they decide to do. We can pray for them for healing, we can listen in prayer again for words, thoughts, pictures to encourage them, but we will not say things here itself and we will not give advice out of listening prayer. We will not say things like, I sense God saying that you should take treatment X or I sense God saying that you're healed, you can stop taking your medication. We will not say things like that here at Southland coming out of prayer, all right? So now here's what I want to do the rest of this message, okay? First half of this message, I want to expand a little bit on some stuff I talked about last week, and I want to show you the difference between giving advice and giving a directive word, okay? 
And some of you will have been wondering after last week, because uh, I made some strong statements about don't, make, don't give people directive words from God, and you might be wondering, you might be a parent here, and you've got some teenage girls who are growing up, and they might be coming to you for advice about, can I be dating so-and-so or whatever, and you might think after last week's message that you can't give them advice, and that's just not true, okay? You may need to give advice, you may need to even give some threats, okay? There's a place for advice, okay? There's a place for authority to still tell people what to do. Okay, and I want to show you in the first half of this message, I want to show you the difference between advice, directive words that come from authority, and directive words that come out of prayer, which is guideline number two, which we don't do here at Southland. Okay, that's the first half. Second half of this message, I want to show you uh, how the prophetic is supposed to function inside the church. I want to show you how the, and we're going to look at guideline number three, but we're going to look at when the prophetic is good, and we're going to look at when the prophetic is bad. All right, because we want to keep this thing uh, in bounds. All right, and if you're new here today, uh, we use a lot of scripture here at Southland. Um, I'm not going to use uh, any scripture in the first half of this message simply because I'm building off of last week. We used a lot of scripture already last week. Um, so don't, you know, run out of here saying, hey, Southland doesn't use the Bible. If you wait till the second half, you get more Bible than you can handle. All right? Deal? Let's do this. There's still a place for advice, okay? You need to be careful. I want to say that. There's still a place for advice. You need to be careful, but there is a place for advice. Okay? I mean, if you come in here and your uh, marriage is, you know, off the rails or it's headed in a bad direction or your life is off the rails somewhere or you need help or something, you come to see one of our pastors, Pastor Tim or Stefan or Donovan or someone like that or Grace, they're going to give you some directive advice. They're going to tell you things like, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop hanging around with so-and-so. You need to start doing this. They'll give you directive advice. And we all re recognize right away that that is a perfectly good, wise, and godly thing for them to do. Okay? So then the question is, well, what's the difference between advice and what you were talking about last week, you know, the job A, job B thing, the medication thing, which we are not supposed to do. Okay? And I'll tell you right up front, this is not an exact science. It's kind of a feel. You have to get a feel for it. What's the difference between these two things, all right? But let me give you three things that will help you feel this out in your life, all right? And obviously, the number one thing, by the way, is the, the number one difference between advice and a directive word is one is coming from God and, or is perceived as coming from God, and one is perceived as coming from you and what you think, right? That's the biggest difference. Okay, if you're giving someone the impression that what you're telling them is from God, that's a directive word. We don't want to go there, right? But advice is coming from you. So now let me give you three other things that will help you feel this out. First thing that you can think about is what versus who, okay? What versus who? And again, there are exceptions to this rule, but it's more to help you feel this out. We all know right implicitly that there's a big difference between t telling someone what to do in order to improve their marriage and telling someone who they should marry. We all recognize there's a big difference there, right? I mean, if you come in and see Pastor Tim here and you need some marriage advice and your marriage is on the rocks and he, he might tell you something like, he'll give you directive advice, he might tell you, you need to stop watching TV and you need to spend more time talking to your wife. Well, that's a directive word and we all accept immediately that is perfectly fine. That is advice, okay? He's not telling you God told me to do this or God told me whatever. He's giving you wise advice for your marriage, right? Now that's a lot different than you sit down and pray with some people and out of that prayer time, someone goes... I think you should marry Bob. I think you're going to someday marry Rachel. I think you're going to marry Woody Giesbrecht or whatever it is, right? You just name a name. <laughs> I just, he's here today. I have to do that. Anyway, um, and maybe there is someone here who wants to marry him. That'd be great. But anyway, uh, <laughs> there's a big difference, right? <laughs> 
what versus who, okay? Same thing with finances. You, there's a big difference between telling someone what to do to help with their finances, right? And telling them who to give their money to, yes? I mean, we've got a financial mentoring ministry that's starting up here at Southland. And uh, we've got a bunch of people. They're godly people. They're smart people. They're wise people. And what we're setting up here is people who have financial problems can come in and get godly, wise advice. And so if you come in to see them, they're going to tell you things what you need to do in order to get your finances in order. They might tell you, you need to start saving X amount of dollars a month. You need to stop going out for dinner three times a week and those sorts of things. They'll tell you what to do. That's, again, a lot different than if you would come into the church for some financial help and someone would tell you, you need to invest your money in stock Y or in product J or company B, whatever it is. It's a lot different telling you what to do with your finances than telling you who to give your money to. What versus who, okay? So what versus who? Again, there's exceptions to this, but what versus who can kind of help you uh, feel out a little bit the difference between advice, which is okay, be careful with it, and directive words, which we do not do. Directive words from God, okay? Uh, the next two principles are even better, okay? They're even more solid. Uh, second uh, principle is, uh, when you're trying to figure out between advice, which is okay, and directive words is not okay, is think about this. What is the person asking you for, okay? What is the person asking you for? This is very important. There's a big difference between someone coming to you and they're asking you for what you think about something and someone else coming to you and asking you to help them confirm something that they think God is telling them, right? If someone comes to you for advice, they're just saying, what do you think about this over here? And you can tell them what you think and they won't feel pressured to do it because it's not God told me, okay? But if someone comes to you for confirmation, they say, I feel like God is telling me to do X, anything you tell them now could be construed by them as coming from God. And so there's a big difference between being asked for advice and being asked for confirmation. Be aware of that when people come to you for prayer. Okay? Third principle, difference between advice, which is okay, but be careful, and directive words from God about important decisions, which we don't do, and this is the main difference between the two things, is this. One is based on personal experience, knowledge, and wisdom, and the other one is based on thoughts and feelings that come during prayer. Okay? One is based in reality. If I give you advice, I'm telling you what I think based on what I've actually experienced and knowledge I've stored up through living and things I've gone through. Okay? If I give you a directive word from God about a decision, I, that directive word isn't based in any reality in my life. It's based on a fleeting thought that went through my head. Okay? Now, God can use thoughts that come into our head. No question, he speaks to us through thoughts in our head. But I want you to notice how different those foundations are. I mean, if I give someone advice on something they should do based out of years of experience, there's a pretty solid foundation there. If I give someone advice for a big decision just based on the thought that came through my head, that is a lot more flimsy, Yes? It's a lot more dangerous, and that's why we don't want to tell people big decisions based on something that came into my head. It could be from God, but it might just be a mistake. It might just be yesterday's chocolate milk sat on the counter for too long, and now I got this thought in my head, and I give it to you. You make a big decision about it. That's not good. Okay? So last week, I made a big, uh, big deal of that job A versus job B. We don't do listening prayer, and you should take job B. Let me show you now an example of how giving advice about a job could be okay, though. Okay, if it was done in the way of advice. Okay, imagine uh, there's a young man, maybe he's 20 or 21, he gets his class one license and, uh, and he's looking to get a job. So he, and he doesn't know where to apply, right? 
And uh, now imagine he's got an uncle who has, you know, been trucking, has been in the industry for 20 or 25 years, okay? And he's worked for four or five different companies. Now, don't you think it would be wise, even biblical, just good common sense for this young man to phone up his uncle and get advice about which company to apply to? I mean, it just makes sense, right? Just totally makes sense. So he phones up his uncle and he says, uh, I'm looking to get, a, I'm looking to, to get in, uh, into a, a company somewhere and start driving. Uh, do you have any advice for me as to where I should apply? Well, now his uncle is going to speak out of what? Not out of what God has told him. He's going to speak out of things he's actually experienced and knows. It's going to come out of reality, right? Things he's lived through. So he begins to speak. He says, these two companies over here, I would recommend you not touch them with a 10-foot pole. I worked for them for a number of years. Lack of integrity. I don't like the way they work. The people weren't good to work with. Uh, you know, it wasn't good pay. This company over here wasn't too bad, but I think you should apply at this company over here. They've got great people. They've got lots of Christian guys. It's a great atmosphere. They pay great. It's awesome. Now, all of us goes, we hear that kind of advice. We say, that is not an abuse at all, is it? He's just speaking out of reality. This is what he knows. He gives it to the young man. That young man would be wise to act based on that advice. Right? That's advice. Okay? Now think about how different that is. Again, the other scenario is, young man goes to sell. He doesn't ask his uncle, who knows. He asks one of his buddies, who has no idea anything about the trucking industry. And he says, which job should I take? And his buddy prays, and just the thought, oh, Company X comes into his mind. Well, I just got the thought, Company X. Now again, look at how flimsy that is compared to this one over here. That is a very flimsy thing to do. We do not want people making big decisions based on this. You guy could have just had a random thought. Now, some of the prophetic people here will be going, but what if God really spoke to that young friend, right? I mean, what if God really spoke to this young guy at cell there, and, and if he doesn't say what he got in prayer, this young man over here is going to miss out on God's will for his life, right? I mean, he's going to miss out. Wrong. See, as long as you think that way, you are actually a dangerous person to pray with. As long as your thinking is, I better share whatever thoughts come to my mind because if I don't, this person could actually miss out on God's will. As long as that's how you think about hearing God, you are a dangerous person to pray with. Because actually what you have is arrogance. And it's not bad, it's not like you're an evil person. All of us will have this come up in us sometimes. We get this assumption that God can only speak to me and he can't speak directly to them about their decision. We get this idea like, oh, I better share with them quick because, hey, if God could give me that thought, I must be real special. He couldn't give it to them. And that's the wrong, that's the wrong assumption to have. Let me, let me ask you this, and I'm going to read it because I just want to make sure I hit it. I want to do it slow. Do you really want someone else to make a big decision in their life based solely on what God told you instead of what God said directly to them? Is that healthy for either you or them? Let me read that to you again. Do you really want someone else to make a big decision in their life based solely on what God told you instead of what God said directly to them? And do you think that that would be healthy for either you or them? Think about this for a moment. Person A makes big decision Y based on something person B said they heard from God. Okay? Person A makes big decision Y, not based on what God said directly to them, but based on what person B tells them that God said to them. Okay? 
What is going to keep person A persevering in that big decision when the going gets tough? Because think about your life. I want you to think about right now some of the big decisions you've made in your life. life. Some of the things that God has told you and you acted on those things and you started to do them. When the going gets tough, what's the anchor in your soul that keeps you sticking through it, persevering and overcoming? I'll tell you what the anchor is. You go back and you remember the ways God spoke to you, right? You go back and you remind yourself. I've talked to many of you about this. People who are going through tough times. I talked to a man again just a couple weeks ago going through a real tough time. And he said, the only thing that's keeping me going right now is that I went back and I reminded myself of all the ways God's spoken to me. Because that's the anchor, right? But now imagine that the only reason you made the decision is because somebody else said they heard God for you. You didn't actually hear him yourself. You have no anchor now to keep you going when the times get tough. See, and we do people a great disservice when we think that we have to shortcut the, the, the process where we have to hear God for them. We actually do them a disservice. They won't even be able to finish what God is calling them to do unless he speaks to them directly. Unless he speaks to them directly. It's very important for us to remember that point. There's one more thing I want us to remember about this too. This is a really important point. Whenever I pray with people about big decisions, I keep this right in front of my eyes. And all of us needs to do this. If we don't do this, again, we are dangerous people to pray with. Here's what I want you to remember. When someone comes to you and wants to pray about a big decision, this is what you need to remember. Always remember when you pray with people about big decisions that they are the ones who will have to live with the decisions they make. I want you just to think about that. They are the ones who will have to live with the decisions they make. They are the ones who will have to reap the fruit of the big decision, which job they take, where they move, what they do for God. They're the ones who are going to have to live with it. They're the ones who are going to have to stand accountable for, before God for the things that they do. So don't, if that's true, and it is, don't you think that the most important person then for, to, to hear God is them directly? If they're the ones who are going to have to be responsible for what happens from the decision, don't you think it's more important that they hear from God about what they should do than that you hear for them? And I think we need to keep that in mind. Of course, then the question will immediately be raised, well, but then what's the point of prophecy, right? What's the point of prophecy if everybody has to hear God for themselves? What's the purpose of the prophetic gift in the church if you're saying that people won't be able to, won't be able to push through on the things God's asking them to do unless they hear for themselves? Okay? Well, and I, I can't do total justice to this question because we could do a whole series on the prophetic gift. But let me just show you, there's different types of prophecy and different reasons for prophecy, but let me tell you two of the main purposes from Scripture of interpersonal prophecy. And what I mean by interpersonal prophecy is just you're praying for someone else to help them get guidance. That's person-to-person prophecy, okay? Let me tell you two reasons from Scripture, purposes of prophecy. And one purpose I want to just emphasize again is not to tell them what to do. Here are the two actual purposes for prophecy, and I'm going to show you a bunch of scripture. First of all, to confirm things God is already speaking to that person about. I've said this point four or five times throughout this series in different ways. I will continue to say it. The purpose of prophecy and hearing God is not to tell someone else what to do. It is to confirm for them things that God is already doing. I'm going to show you that in scripture a little later in this message. And the second one is to reveal the heart. These are the purposes of prophecy. 
Not to go up to someone and say, God told me you need to move to X city, or God told me you need to go to this church, or God told me you need to do this, or God told me to do that. That is not the purpose of prophecy. To confirm in people what God is already speaking to them and to reveal their hearts. Let me show you this. First one, uh, we'll do uh, to reveal the heart first. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. Look at that. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So, according to this passage, one of the main purposes of prophecy is to reveal people's hearts so that they can repent and move closer to God and be healed and, and walk in a relationship with him. That is a key purpose of prophecy. Reveal the heart, they, they repent, they come closer to God. And there are scads of examples throughout Scripture of prophecy being used in this way. Okay? One of the most famous is the story of King David and the prophet Nathan. Okay? Uh, what happens there? Okay? Just famous story. King David watches Bathsheba taking a bath, starts lusting, commits adultery, then murders her husband. Okay? Terrible story. Okay? At the end of the story, David does not confess his sin. He hides it. Okay? He hides it. As a result of him hiding it, first of all, God's going to bring judgment on the kingdom. God's going to bring judgment on his family. But even worse, there's a separation between David and God. And so God is going to use the prophetic. I'm going to read you this story now. He's going to use the prophetic and he's going to use the prophet Nathan to reveal the heart so that David can confess and be brought back into relationship with the Lord. All right? This is the purpose of prophecy. Okay? Let me show you uh, this story. All right? So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. Now that's a little close for me, if I, but anyway, just me and an animal, but whatever. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter, all right? One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. Now, by the way, this is human nature through and through. We all do this, okay? We got, you got some big sin problem in your life, but somebody else's little problems drive you crazy. Isn't that true? I mean, I've known people, deep, deep sin issues and all kinds of things they haven't dealt with in their life. And they'll come into the office and tell me that they're really mad about someone wearing their hat in church, Okay? And this is just human nature. So David is furious, okay? Even though he's got massive sins hidden just beneath the surface, all right? Surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, here comes the prophetic now, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. And now look at, look at the result of pro prophecy. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord and he can be restored. Okay, this is, a, this is the prophetic working the way it's supposed to work. Not telling people what to do, 
but revealing a heart so they can come close to God. There's so many examples I could share of this from here at Southland. One great one I heard just recently, a man in my office told me an awesome story. He was on the Empower in, uh, back in 2008, and uh, this man had many, many deep issues. You're actually going to see his whole testimony. I'm just giving you one tiny little snippet uh, in April. Fantastic uh, story. Um, but he had many deep uh, uh, issues, serious issues in his life. And on top of that, he also had a very bad back. And um, during the resting in the spirit session on Saturday night, uh, his back seized up horribly. He couldn't, he couldn't sit. He couldn't uh, hardly stand up. And so they called Pastor Ray over, and Pastor Ray can't, comes to pray over this guy. These two, they don't know each other. Pastor Ray doesn't know his history, nothing like that. And so Pastor Ray is just coming over. He's going to pray for this guy's back because we don't want people's back seizing up during the rest of the spirit session. So he pray, starts praying over him to be healed and his back to feel better. And while he's praying, the Holy Spirit starts to reveal to him uh, sins that are in this guy's life, Okay. Now, doesn't that make you want to think twice about praying with Pastor Ray, okay? <laughs> you know, I always let him, you know, it's dinner time. No, you pray, Dad. You, you just pray, huh? But, uh, but anyway, um, so he says to him, he doesn't say, hey, you have this sin. No, he just says, uh, yeah, I just got this thought. Do you, do you have this sin in your life? And this guy, oh, uh, yeah. And then... Uh, do you have this sin in your life? And he just starts asking this question. They pray together for about half an hour. During this half an hour, this guy's heart just gets totally revealed. Okay, that's the prophetic at work. And they do a bit of deliverance and then they finish the prayer time off. This guy heads to bed. The next morning he gets up. His back is better than it's been in years. Okay? Now he had a long journey yet and you're going to see the rest of his testimony in April. Absolutely amazing testimony. That, this, this wasn't the end of his journey, but this was a key first step. And that's the prophetic at work, not telling somebody what to do, but revealing the heart so that they can confess, repent, and be healed by God and come close to him, okay? That's the prophetic, okay? Second reason, purpose of the prophetic, all right, is to confirm things God is already speaking to that person about. And let me read you a story here from Acts chapter 21, okay? And a little background to this story. Paul, his missionary journeys are just about done, okay? He is heading towards Jerusalem, and on his way to Jerusalem, he is going through many of the cities where he planted churches. He's meeting with the church leaders, praying with them, saying goodbye as he heads to Jerusalem, all right? And so he's at one of those churches here in Acts chapter 21, verse 10, and here's what happens. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So here we're going to get a prophecy, okay? Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So prophecy, Paul, you're, if you continue on to Jerusalem, when you get there, the Jews are going to arrest you and they're going to hand you over to the Romans, okay? When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Okay, so now they're giving him a directive word. The church leader is saying, don't go, okay? Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready. Okay, I'm going to come back to this statement, but I want you to notice, first of all, he's not surprised. This prophecy isn't telling him something brand new and he's shocked. Oh, what? Oh, we got to have a big prayer meeting. What? I'm going to be arrested and imprisoned? This is not new information. I've been telling you that the purpose of prophecy is not to give brand new information to send people off on some new course. It's to confirm things that God is already speaking to them, 
okay? For I'm ready, we're going to come back to that though in a few minutes. There's some other things I want to talk about first. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Two things I want you to notice here. The second one is the for I am ready. We're going to come back to that. The first thing I want you to notice is this. Paul doesn't take their advice. This one point there, we could just sit there and meditate on that point. And if we actually get this point, it would put an immediate stop to almost all the spiritual abuse that happens in the charismatic movement. Paul doesn't take their advice. Agabus gives a prophecy. He says, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. It's an accurate prophecy, by the way. The church leaders interpret that prophecy into a directive word. They say, well, if, that's what's, if, if God is giving that prophecy, then that must mean that God is warning Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So they say, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul rejects their directive words. He doesn't do what they say. And what's even more amazing is that this isn't the first time Paul has rejected that kind of a directive word. In fact, just the church earlier, the week previous to this story, we go earlier in the chapter, he's in the city of Tyre, another church, another group of spirit-filled leaders. I want you to read this, Acts 21 verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. I want you to notice this. Through the Spirit, they were telling him not to go. These are not ungodly people. These are people who love God. These are people who love Paul. They have Paul's best interests in mind. Okay? They are praying for Paul. They are prophesying over Paul. And out of this whole thing, and out of their love for him, and out of their love for God, they are telling him, do not go to Jerusalem. And he doesn't do what they tell him to do. This is so amazing. This is a beautiful point. Here's what, it, here's what it means. Let me tell you something. This is going to take a load off your shoulders. If we get this guideline, there's no spiritual abuse on the prophetic in this church. It doesn't matter how spirit-filled a person is. It doesn't matter how godly. It doesn't matter how prophetic, how much you look up to them. Someone gives you a prophetic word of something you should or should not do. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm assuming it's not in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, you have to do it because it's in the Bible. But someone gives you a directive word of some kind, they're spirit-filled, they're godly people, you are not morally obligated to do what they say unless God speaks it directly to you. You're not morally obligated. It doesn't matter how spiritual they are. How amazing. They say, I feel like God told me you need to be doing this. If it's not in the Bible, you are not morally obligated before God to do what they say unless God speaks it directly to you. I mean, this is, this is an absolutely beautiful point. I'm taking a load off your shoulders so that something doesn't happen to you down the road. Someone says, God told me you should do blank. Well, sorry, unless, until he speaks that to me, I don't need to do it. I sensed in prayer that you should not be doing this blank. And as long as it's not in the Bible or something like that, you can just say to them with confidence, well, until God speaks that to me, I'm not going to do anything about that word. I'm actually getting my, a little bit ahead of myself here, but this is guideline number three. I'll get Charmaine just to put that up there right now. This is the third guideline in, in the series, which is don't be controlled by other people's words from God. These three guidelines together are going to help keep us in wisdom and righteousness in this church with seeking God's will. The first guideline, look for confirmation. I'm safe for myself. The second guideline is about me being safe for other people. And the third line, guideline is keeping me safe from other people. You don't need to be controlled by other people's words from God. See, here's the thing about the prophetic. The prophetic is a wonderful gift from God. It is amazing. I'm going to show you that. 
But as with every good gift that God gives to human beings, we take something and our sinful nature twists it. So you get, I mean, all of us struggle with the same things. We all struggle with pride. We all struggle with insecurity. And so this is what happens. You start to pray for people and we all want to feel needed. We all, it feels good to speak to someone else on behalf of God, doesn't it? It just feels good to be able to tell somebody something they couldn't hear for themselves from God. And so we get carried away in the spirit. We're praying, we're worshiping, whatever. We start to tell people what to do from God because it, it makes us feel good. It makes them dependent on us. It makes us seem more important. There's just this spiritual importance and pride that rises up in us. Let me tell you something that is not what the prophetic is supposed to be for. The prophetic gift is not about you having power to tell people what to do. The prophetic gift is not about lifting you up so that people need you. God did not give the prophetic gift to the church so that there would be this class of superhumans up here who can hear God's will and everybody else down here needs them to speak to them for God. Here's the thing. God wants to speak to each and every one of his sheep directly. That's why Jesus died. He doesn't want to go through a priest anymore. So it's not a matter of, people get this idea, oh, he's super spiritual, I need to go talk to him because he'll be able to hear God for me. Here's the thing, you can hear God for yourself just as well as anybody else. And in fact, you are the one who needs to hear God if you're gonna be the one to carry out the things God wants you to do. So the, perfect, the purpose of prophecy is not to cause dependency between people on other people and to cause certain people to seem more spiritual than other people. That's an abuse of the prophetic. Let's go back to guideline number two now. What prophecy is good for, and that's giving confirmation, okay? And I want to go back to the story of Paul and Agabus, um, but first I want to show you a couple other passages from Paul for this reason, because some of you might be thinking, well, Paul doesn't have a lot of respect for the, prof for the prophetic gift, because in Acts 21, he gets this prophetic word, and the church leaders say, don't go to Jerusalem, and he doesn't even test the word. He doesn't pray about it. He doesn't stop to think about it. He just says, he rejects it. No, I'm going. And so you might get the idea from this story, like Paul doesn't listen to prophecies, but I want you to see it's the exact opposite. Paul loves the gift of prophecy. He believes the, pro the gift of prophecy is absolutely essential for the church. Let me just pick out two passages from his writings to show you this, and I could pick out more. Just get a drink of water because I'm going to get worked up again in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This is a command from Paul. He tells us to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? The one who prophesies builds up the church. So Paul says the gift of prophecy is actually essential for a properly functioning church, okay? Another passage I want you to see. I want you to see that Paul really respects and loves the prophetic gift. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. This is a command again. Don't despise prophecies. God might be speaking something important to you through a prophecy, so don't despise it, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Someone will say, well, wait a minute. Don't despise the prophecies. That's what Paul's doing in Acts 21, okay? Now we need to go back to that story and I need to show you some more information that we're missing, okay? I want to show you why Paul is going to Jerusalem and I want to show you why he seems to reject the prophetic word. He's not actually rejecting it. I'll show you why in just a moment. If we go to Acts 20, though, let's get some, some more information here. Acts chapter 20, the previous chapter, 
Just before the Agabus prophecy, okay, Paul is on this, on this journey to Jerusalem. He's going to give us some more information about why he's heading to Jerusalem, all right? Now, from Miletus, he sent, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Why? Constrained by the Spirit. He's constrained by the spirit that he has to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to come back and tell you what that word constrained means in just a moment. Anyway, not knowing what will happen to me there. So he's not exactly sure what will happen to him when he gets there. But he has a general idea because, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Okay, let me just finish this passage and then we'll come back and look at that. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Okay, I want to go back to verses 22 and 23 there. Paul says, why is he going to Jerusalem? He is constrained by the Holy Spirit. Now, the word constrained there comes from the Greek word deo, which means obligated to or bound by. So Paul is going to Jerusalem because he has been obligated by the Holy Spirit. He has been bound by the Holy Spirit to go there. In other words, the Holy Spirit has spoken to him very clearly, directly, and strongly. You must go to Jerusalem. Now, the Holy Spirit hasn't told him exactly what's going to happen to him there, but he has told him that everywhere he goes, bad things are going to happen. So he has a general idea of what will happen to him there, okay? Now we have background for Acts 21. When Agabus prophesies to Paul and says, you are going to be bound by the Jews and handed over to the Romans, he's not telling Paul some brand new thing. He's simply giving Paul confirmation of something the Holy Spirit said, everywhere you go, you're going to get imprisonment, and here's a bit more information about that. In Acts 21, Paul is not rejecting that prophetic word. He's rejecting the directive word that came from the church leaders not to go to Jerusalem. See, the church leaders, again, I said this before, but I just want to repeat it again. Agabus gives a prophecy, the prophetic, is, but his prophecy isn't directive. He doesn't tell Paul whether to go or not. He just says, this is what's going to happen to you there. And it's not new information. It just confirms what Paul already knows. That's what I've been telling you all along. The prophetic is for confirmation. But the church leaders take the prophetic word and they interpret that to mean, they say to themselves, well, certainly God wouldn't intentionally send someone into suffering, would he? I mean, there's a whole bunch of preachers who are making lots of money these days preaching that. A loving father would never send his kids into pain. So they interpret it as God warning Paul not to go. And that isn't what Paul was telling, God was telling Paul to do. God was telling Paul, go to Jerusalem and you will suffer there. See, a loving father, he does, God does love us and he does send us into pain. He does send us into pain sometimes for his plan, for his will, for our good, for the world's good. And this is why it is so dangerous for us to give people directive words that are the prophetic because we so often misinterpret what God is really saying. So we take what we sense and what we're feeling and we say, out of that, you should be doing this. And God goes, no. He has already spoken to Paul about what he needs to do. The purpose of this prophecy was to get Paul ready for what he was going to face. And that's what the prophetic is for. It's so wonderful. 
God is getting Paul. God is giving this prophecy through Agabus as a gift to Paul to help stiffen his resolve and get him ready to overcome in the storm that's about to hit him. That's amazing of God. You know, again, I could give you so many as I'm winding this message up. Now, I want to wind this up with three stories. And, uh, and there's just so many I could share, but of the prophetic being used as confirmation like this, and that's wonderful. Uh, one young man I was talking to recently uh, loves God, really pursuing God. And, and he's been asking God for guidance about uh, what is his calling in life? What does God want him doing? What is the ministry God wants him doing? And he's been praying about this and praying about this. And over time, God has been giving him guidance and has been pushing him in a direction and showing him where he should go. And then recently, God gave him even further a confirmation of this. We talked about the Holy Spirit giving you a scripture passage. We talked about that in this series. And sure enough, as he's been praying, God, what is my calling in life? Uh, one day recently, God gave this young man a, a specific verse in the Psalms that just encapsulated his, his calling. And just, oh, it was awesome verse. And just totally spoke to it. And it's amazing when God gives confirmation like that. Well, shortly after he got this verse, he was getting together with some friends. Uh, and he's involved in this church here. And he had friends from this church. But then there were some people also from outside the church and stuff. And they were getting together at this, at this place. And they were going to do praying for each other and different things. And some of the people there didn't know him. And so he's on his way to this meeting and he says to God, he says, Lord, uh, I will take this as confirmation if during this prayer meeting, this person over here that doesn't know me, if he prays over me and says this verse over me that you gave me, that would be confirmation. Now, that is pretty good confirmation, right? I mean, you just pray with someone randomly and they don't know you and you have one verse out of thousands in the Bible and they're just going to speak this verse to you, okay? That's good confirmation, so anyway, he goes to this meeting. Sure enough, this one guy is praying over him. And while he's praying for them, all, all of a sudden he stops and he gives a prophetic word. And he says, I'm getting this verse for you. And he names that exact verse. Well, that's the prophetic at work. I mean, what do you think that did for that young man? Gave him powerful confirmation of what God was speaking to him. But I want you to notice that the person giving the prophetic word isn't telling him what to do. He has no idea even what he's saying. He's just giving him this verse. He doesn't know what the verse means to him. He's not manipulating things. He's not controlling things. At the end of the prophecy, you're not more dependent on him. You're more dependent on God. That's how the prophetic is supposed to work. Uh, yesterday, I talked to a woman just before the service. Another great story. And several weeks ago, she had a major family issue uh, flare up in her life with, with, a, with a family member and old past hurts came up and stuff and just, just some, some a lot of history there and so she came into church here on a Tuesday morning to get some personal ministry and so she came in she got some personal ministry and then later that evening she was in the prayer room we have, our prayer room is open all week by the way anybody can come in lots of people come into the prayer room and you can do your devotions there you can pray there all sorts of stuff so she's just in there by herself doing her devotions there's a few other people doing prayer and, and devotion stuff in there as well and it's Tuesday night now, okay? At the same time that she's in, there's a school of ministers student in there, and they've never met before. I, I asked her yesterday, I, I just confirmed, I said, you, you never talked to this person before. You had no way of knowing this person. No, not at all. Didn't know him from hole in the ground. So this woman is over here. She's praying about her issues. She's been getting personal ministry. She's working through this family stuff. This young man over here doesn't know her, doesn't know what she's struggling with. He's just praying. While he's praying, he gets this passage of scripture in his mind, and he keeps getting this idea he should share it with this woman over here. Now, you feel kind of dumb you get a thought like that, right? But anyway, finally, he's just like, whatever. And, he write, and she showed me this, this scrap of paper. He wrote it down, a little corner of a piece of paper, ripped it off, and just gave it to her, just the passage. 
So she opens up her Bible. She reads this to me yesterday. And this verse is addressed exactly to the family member that she's struggling with, first of all. And then it speaks exactly to her situation. Now, do you think that was a powerful God moment for her? Huge. And again, I want you to notice how the prophetic is working. This person isn't given a directive word, you need to do this or you need to do that or God told me. It's not controlling. It's not abusive in any way. All he has is a verse. I'm just going to share this with her. He has no idea what God's going to do with that verse. And God takes that verse and just takes it deep into her heart and speaks to her. Oh, when the prophetic is being used like that, it is building up the body. It is building up people. It's bringing people closer to Jesus. That's amazing. So let me finish up this message now by finishing up a point from last week. One last story. What can I do when somebody comes to me for prayer but a big decision? We're not going to give them directive words. We're not going to do that from God. We're not going to say, God told me you should do this or I sense you should do that. No. We can, as we looked at last week, we can point out moral obligations. Yes, we should do that. We can point out obvious errors in judgment. Yes, we should do that. And now let me just add in this prophetic element we've been talking about here in the second half of this message. You can certainly share with them non-directive words, thoughts, and pictures. And I would obviously include in that scripture verses and stuff like that. Yes, that you should do for people when they come to you with a big decision. When they come to you for, with some big issue in their life. Last story of the series. Another personal story. I'll close it off with that. Uh, two years ago, during the uh, End Time series, uh, I, ha- I started to have, during the series, I'll never forget even the exact message when it started, uh, I started to have severe panic attacks and anxiety attacks about uh, preaching. And, uh, and uh, it's, it, uh, you know, I would have trouble breathing. And uh, it got so bad, I remember uh, shortly after it started, um, it got so bad, I remember one Saturday evening service in particular, I'm standing backstage there, and I was actually this close in that one service, it got so bad, I was this close to just running out the back door, not even coming out, okay? I'm standing back there, the video is going, the video would have ended, and you guys would all been waiting here, and it would have been nothing, okay? I was freaking out, like literally freaking out, just anxious, chest constricting, and it started to get worse. At first when it started, I would get it just before I would preach, and then as it went on, it was getting worse and worse. It would start the night before I would preach. I'd get up on, on a Friday night, I'd wake up, or a Saturday night, I would wake up at like 1, 2 in the morning, I wouldn't be able to sleep. I'd be pacing in the living room, in Jesus' name, I'm casting out every devil I can think about. I'm getting personal ministry. I'm asking, people are praying for me. I got my whole cell group praying for me, all this stuff. I'm doing whatever I can. It's getting worse. I mean, it's getting to the point where I'm waking up in the middle of the week, anxious on weeks when I'm not even preaching. I'm thinking to myself, I am Chris Dirksen. I don't get panic attacks. It's for crazy people. I'm happy. I'm positive. I'm healthy. I had a good upbringing. I I don't have that. Okay? Pride. Anyway. I don't get anxiety attacks. That's not me. That's, I mean, I get other things maybe, but I don't, I don't have that one. It was, it got so bad that uh, we, every year here at Southland on uh, on Friday, one Friday a year during May, we host a big leadership summit on satellite. Some of you, I'm sure, have been there in the chapel. We're doing it again this year, the John Maxwell uh, Leadership Summit coming out of Atlanta. And we get a bunch of people here and we watch it in there and we watch the sessions. And I remember this one session in particular. I sit down and I'm watching John Maxwell get up in front of a bunch of people on satellite, okay? So I'm watching this on TV. I'm watching him talk to a bunch of other people. And the camera pans around the room, all these people watching him. And I just about in the back, my heart just goes, like this, I'm freaking out watching him talk to other people, okay? 
Now, freaking out about speaking in front of people is not good when your job is speaking in front of people, okay? And so, like I said, I was getting every kind of help I could. I was, people were praying for me. I was confessing sins and all this stuff. It just goes on for seven, eight months. It was terrible, really, really terrible. And I would get temporary relief sometimes for a bit, and I'd have people praying for me through the services, and it would get me through, and, and, uh, but it was really bad. And then in January, every January, we do something here on staff, and we have a prophetic team, Grace Fast and Paul Hebert and a number, number of others. They actually come and they, and they do prophetic ministry over every staff person. We can do that every January. And it's absolutely amazing. And, and, and first of all, let me just say this. A lot of the wisdom you're hearing in this series is I'm, I've been learning from them. I've been learning being here in the body here at Southland. I'm not just coming up with this on my own. And they've always been very strong on not giving directive words. They don't tell us what's going to happen or, what's, or, what they're, or, or what we need to be doing. They pray over us. They give us non-directive words, thoughts, and pictures. And every year they do it. It's amazing. The stuff they give us, God just uses it and speaks. And it confirms things. Well, anyway, Chris Puhatch is part of that team. I mean, Chris Puhatch. <laughs> okay. So Chris Puhatch comes and he lays his hands on me. I actually, I really like him. Um... He lays his hands on me and he gets a picture right away. And a picture is of this hot air balloon on stage and then a, you know, a hand comes out with a needle or whatever and pokes the hot air balloon and the hot air balloon goes <laughs> all over stage in front of everybody. Okay, so he shares this. He starts giggling like a little schoolgirl. okay, when he gets the picture. <laughs> He's got no idea what the picture means, okay? Notice again, the prophetic. It's not about manipulating and controlling. You're not trying to tell someone what to do. He has no idea what it means. He's just getting a picture. In fact, he moves on to do some other stuff, I, and I'm sure it was all good. I don't remember any of the rest of the stuff. Okay, but for eight months, and he isn't praying for me about this anxiety attack, by the way. This is just what they're doing over all the staff just for the year. Nothing to do with that. But the moment he gives that picture, which he has no idea what it means, he has no idea what it means to me. The moment he says it, the Holy Spirit is just confirming something deep in my heart. And the Holy Spirit said, you are that hot air balloon. He said, you're a perfectionist. You're afraid of making mistakes. You're afraid of saying the wrong thing. You're afraid of offending people. You're afraid the, the church is going to fall apart if you, if you do something dumb. And you're trying to impress people. You're trying to be perfect. You're trying to do all this sort of stuff. And that's why you've got this anxiety problem. And you need to pop that thing. I said, oh, so I'm allowed to be an idiot on stage? Yes. <laughs> Well, right there in those few seconds, this is the prophetic at work the way it's supposed to be. That whole burden just came right off, right off my shoulder. I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, I've been struggling for eight months and I needed, all I needed was for Chris Puhatch to pray for me. I mean, if he can do it, anybody of us can do it, right? Amen? <laughs> but right then, that prophetic word just goes right to the heart, releases you, brings you back into right alignment with God, and you can move on with your life, right? Amen? That's how, that's how, that's how we want hearing God to be like. Not manipulating, controlling each other, but helping each other, building the body, listening to God in wisdom and righteousness. Close your eyes with me, bow your heads. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you are doing in our church and what you are going to do in our church in the future. Thank you for these truths that you've been speaking to us in this body. We want to hear your voice more. We want to walk closer with you. And we thank you for the ways in which you're going to speak to us as we walk within the boundaries. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.